Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 71 of the Peristyle Podcast. We're getting up there in age, uh, 71 episodes. If you don't know what the Peristyle Podcast is, it's our weekly internet radio show talking all about the USC Trojans. We'll talk some football and basketball today. We have a really exciting show for you today on the podcast. We're going to talk with Coach Harvey Hyde about the offensive line, the USC offensive line heading into fall camp. We're also going to talk about the new basketball hire, Kevin O'Neill. We'll talk about that with Coach Hyden, with Dan Wyke, who was down there at the press conference yesterday, Monday. And we will also talk to Gerard Martinez, previewing the Rising Stars camp at USC that will happen on Wednesday and Thursday. Today is June 23rd. It's a Tuesday, 2009. We are doing the podcast one day earlier again this week just because... I will be down at the Rising Stars camp on Wednesday, so we'll give you the preview and all of that today. If you have any questions or comments, you can always drop us an email. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. And as promised, we're going to talk in the first segment with Coach Harvey Hyde. Thanks for joining us today, Coach. Hey, Ryan. Thank you very much, and uh, I'm glad to be with you. We've got a lot to talk about, and uh, why don't we just get started? Yeah, we got to get started. I wanted to uh, thank our sponsor for the segment, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com is the website, 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything, concerts, sporting events, theaters. I uh, coached last week. I went to Boston, got to go to the Red Sox game from the tickets I got at sctickets.com. Great seats, and I was in a cast. They even upgraded my seats to the front row of the bleachers, so it was pretty cool. So uh, thanks to sctickets.com for that. And I want to thank them because I'm going down there today. I already called them yesterday, and I'm getting six tickets to the Jersey Boys in Las Vegas. Ooh. I understand that's a great show. Apparently it is. I haven't seen it, but I heard a bunch of people say it was really cool. So, yeah, it's, so if you need tickets for anything, sctickets.com. They're really nice enough to sponsor our segment and help make the podcast possible. So check them out. And, uh, Coach, we've got some topics to get to. I want to get to it right away. Uh, one of the uh, hot buttons for you. Uh, over you know over the year or so that we've been talking a little over a year uh, has been the offensive line and we got I got an interesting question from Tom Olson and I wanted to we thought we could make this our topic for today does that does that sound good with you that's fine okay it's the first part of the question was when was the last time USC had a dominating offensive line and uh, he mentioned like with Deuce, Deuce Matui and Fred Matua and he, he felt that in 2007, again, in the Rose Bowl, they killed Michigan, but they couldn't run the ball. They had to throw the ball the entire second half. Penn State 2009, again, USC couldn't run the ball. Without the passing game, they would have lost both of those games. And uh, I thought we might want to discuss it a little bit. I, went, I did a little research, Coach. Maybe I'll, I'll list a few of these names for you before you chime in. But in 2005, here's some of the guys that were on the offensive line roster. And you'll note some of the dudes that are in the NFL, like uh, Sam Baker and Kyle Williams. Uh, Winston Justice was a was a beast. Uh, Deuce Latui, Tiny Milo was in there. Matt Spanos was a really uh, good utility guy. Played all over the place. Ryan Khalil, high draft pick. Shiloh Rochelle playing with the 49ers. Drew Radovich, I remember seeing him. He was down at the uh, Senior Bowl 
got drafted. Uh, Jeff Byers, who's still on the team now. Uh, Fred Matua is another guy. And even a, a guy like Will Collins, who wasn't really offensive line, but he was a four-year starting snapper. And uh, they, Nick Howell was another guy on that team who's currently on this team. But a lot of names there that were you know, considered for the draft and got drafted. A lot of talent. And I, I, to me, I mean, that was the last time I think USC really had a dominating offensive line. Well, yeah. <clears throat> First of all, you know, we've talked about it before. And, you know, you got to believe in the run and you got to, you got to build toughness in the offensive linemen to believe that they can uh, knock someone off the football, create the lane, stay with your block, uh, to uh, have a great running game. And yet you still at the same time have to uh, teach pass blocking, which is a non-aggressive, very non-aggressive type of block, is where you drop back and keep the, you know, keep the pass rusher to whatever side and protect him and keep him away from you where he can't go under or over you. Or if he starts to jump up in the air to block a pass, that's when you extend your arms and push him down. So he has to come back down and bring his arms down. So there's a lot to coaching the offensive line and probably it's the toughest position to coach. I was an offensive line coach. You have so many different combinations of blocks. You have to recognize defenses. You have to do goal line situations. You have to do pass blocking draws. You have to do traps. You have to do all different types of schemes and so on. So it's a very difficult thing to teach. And unless you spend a lot of time on the run blocking itself, it's very difficult to create a running game. And, and, and you have to run the football. And if you, if you don't make five yards on a run, that, that can't be a discouraging thing. You've got to come back and have the confidence that you can run the ball again and average, you know, four yards a carry or three or four yards a carry. And if you run three plays in a row and you do have that average, you know, you have a first down. But then mixed in with that, you've got to have today a passing game because the defenses have changed. And if you do do that, you're going to have everybody up in the box and it's going to be very difficult to stay on schedule to have that type of running game. And you see teams like Michigan and Ohio State and other teams that used to just run the football all the time now have to change and throw the football too. So it's not just USC who's changed their philosophy. It's everyone has changed their philosophy. And if you look in the national championship games over the last several years and who's been the champion of those games, those are guys that have been able to throw the football and run the football too, like Florida and Oklahoma and Texas and USC and so on. These teams are the ones that are playing in the national championship game and winning. Now, Ohio State has played it at two out of the last three years, but they didn't successfully win uh, the national championship. But they've had great teams. But now they've deviated, and now at Pryor, they've, they've changed their offense somewhat to try to compete. So you have to be able to have the running game and the passing game in order to be successful. And, and the running game, you know, the offensive lineman still has to be tough. In the days you talked about, uh, the old days when they ran 28 sweep and this and that, though, you know, those guys, you know, they, they were tougher types of individuals. They didn't have to learn pass blocking as much. They, they would get off the line of scrimmage and they took pride in the short yardage game and so on where I'm not telling you they're not teaching that today, but it's not taught at the same uh, emphasis or, or intensity level as it used to be where, where Goo was walking down the line in scrimmage and kicking you in the butt, or Hudson Hawk or somebody would actually kick you in the butt if you didn't get off the line of scrimmage. You don't see that today. You see more area blocking and so on and maintaining your block. So it's a different technique that's being taught. 
but yet the running game is very important. I, I believe to to win championships, you do really have to be able to run the football. And I think that yeah, the passing game is something that you have to have, too, to win championships. So they have to be both there. SC has not been as dominant in the offensive line as over the last several years. They have emphasized the pass. Why? Because they've had the Carson Palmer, the Matt Leinhardt, the John David Booty, the, 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 the Mark Sanchez, these type of players that they featured along with their great receivers and passing game and a tremendous defense that has always given them field position. So I think that, and turnovers. So they haven't dominated the games by trying to have ball control. Ball control is the running game. They've been able to go out, hit big plays, be a big play offense, even on the running game, have big plays, and not depend on smash-mouth football, as you call it, smash-mouth football. And, and I think that's the thing that they need to work on just a little bit more in the belief of being able to do more smash-mouth football and have a little bit more intensity in the offensive line where they might want to bite off a face mask of a defensive lineman or, or you know, that type of attitude. And, and that, that could come. But they've had great offensive line as, as linemen, as you said. They've all gone on to the NFL. But I think people are a little little skeptical as far as the success of running the football, as far as consistency of running the football. And people would like to see that more. All right, Coach. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And one of the, the cliches, I guess, you, you hear a lot about the offensive line, is like five fingers on a hand. They all have to kind of work together. And, you know, the, the 2005 list, there was a lot of talent there. There's guys that have gone on to the NFL. But how much of it do you think is the talent – versus like the the chemistry and continuity of the line together like maybe the guys on the team you know i don't know are they as talented or, or not as talented as the list from a few years ago but is it some of you know does some of it have to do with just the chemistry that they have to play together or injuries that guys get knocked out like how important do you think is that that is well chemistry is very important it, it's very important and communication is the main thing as far as in an offensive line being able to communicate to each other on uh, your combination of blocks and who's got who and so on. And the offensive lineman has got to be an intelligent player because you see so many different looks and you've got to be able to pick up different blitzes and so on and listen to audibles and so on. You know, you, you don't have to do that much on defense. You know, you can do the wrong thing on defense, make a great play, and everybody thinks you're, you're a hero. On offense, it takes 11 people to make a play go. And, I, and I'll tell you, if one person makes a mistake in the offensive line, and it's, it's a loss, minus five, minus two. One guy misses his block. So it's very important. Communication is there. Intensity is there. Uh, smartness, being able to recognize defenses, uh, being able to then, then being able to listen to an audible and being able to check with me on pass plays and running plays and so on. So it's very important. It's very difficult to play the offensive line because everyone has to hear everything with the noise of the crowd and so on. It's it's hard. It's really hard. In coaching the offensive line, you you really have to communicate and teach them communication. And sometimes they look at each other, or they tap, or they have hand signals to pass on to each other what they see and what they're going to do. So, you know, the defense has an advantage. There's no question about that. The only advantage the offense has is they know the play. But the defense has the advantage as far as getting off of the football and, and playing the run or playing the pass. And, and um 
that's why defenses are always ahead of the offense in spring practice and fall practice. You always you always hear the reporters reporting or coaches saying, "Well, the defense is ahead of the offense." Why? Because they're ahead of them because the offense has so much to learn to be able to go against the defense. And when you ask me the question, the athlete does the athlete still have to be a great athlete? The offensive line. Lyman has to be a great athlete because they have to perform so many different things, and they're going against bigger and faster defensive linemen than ever before. And I think that's what the biggest change is in the offensive line is the defensive players are better defensive players. They're quicker and they're bigger. Now, not to take away anything from Richard Woods or any of those great players, or Seau or any of those players that have played at USC, but there's more of them. There's more of them you have to block. In the past, you just had to block maybe three, four, five. Now you got to block them all. <laughs> and, 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 you know, that's not an easy thing to do. So you do have to be a great athlete, and you do have to then also, being a great athlete, you have to be able to communicate and do all those things I just discussed. All right. Well, Tom, thank you very much for that question. I, I know Coach, uh, Coach Hyde loves talking about the offensive line. We'll talk more about that. We'll, we'll break down the depth chart a little bit and talk about some of the, the, the players that are there on future podcasts for sure. But we wanted to get to, before we go with Coach Hyde, uh, USC men's basketball coach. We have a new basketball coach at USC. Kevin O'Neill was hired. They had a press conference uh, yesterday. Mike Garrett seemed really fired up about it. Uh, a lot of the media were down there. We had Dan Weike down there. Uh, he's covering it. We're gonna have some video up on the site. He's already Dan's already put a couple articles up. We'll put video, and we had, did a video interview with him. So we'll have all that stuff up on uscfootball.com uh, today. And uh, so yeah, it's a, it's an exciting time for USC basketball. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, it's kind of a cloud hanging over right now. But you know, there's some there's some optimism. There's some people that aren't all excited about the new hire. But you know, there's there's I think you, it's kind of split down the middle. At least on the website, coach. There's a lot of people that are excited about it. They want to just move on and, and get these sanctions or whatever happens behind the program. And there's other people that aren't really happy with the, the, the decision to, to hire him. They wanted a bigger, a bigger name possibly. But just want to, I know you're, this is a hot topic for you, Coach. Just want to kind of get your thoughts on you know, what was going on there with the basketball program. Well, let me first of all say this. Uh, you know, Kevin O'Neill is a good hire. Uh, first of all, let's 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 you know. The, I think the number one thing that hurts a program is when people say, "Oh, we should add a better coach, or we should add this, or we should add this and that." First of all, it's not good for the program. It's not good for recruiting, and it's not good to second guess. First of all, you know who is available. First of all, you look at it. Who's going to come to USC now under the current situation? So, first of all, you get a guy that's had Pac-10 experience. You've had a guy who's been a head coach at three universities major universities in, in college basketball. You've had a guy that has NBA experience who is able to work with his players and help help them in evaluation whether they should come out or stay and so on. So I think it's a great hire. Now, a lot of people say, oh, we should have got somebody else. Okay, who are you going to get? First of all, Lon Kruger turned down the job, the head coach at UNLV. Why? Because first of all, let's face it, everyone, USC currently right now is a football school. It's a football school, and you have to have a special person who's willing to coach at USC and say, I'm second dog. I, I know football is what pays the bill, and I know that's why people buy basketball tickets until I get a program going here because, uh, you know, it's, it's part of the package or whatever is expected or whatever. So Lon Kruger, UNLV is a basketball school. I coached there when Jerry Tarkini was there. It was a basketball school. 
I fed off of Jerry Tarkanian and UNLV basketball because I was able to get kids to come to UNLV because of the exposure USC gave or UNLV gave in basketball the school. Well, the same thing with USC. It's a football school. Kevin O'Neill, Tim Floyd, whoever coaches basketball, going to feed off of the football program as far as wanting to be a part of such great programs, not just in football, but all the track and field and volleyball and water polo. And when you look at all the success they've had this year, it's unbelievable. So, you know, you you got to get behind the person and you got to support this person. And this person is coming in with a lot of enthusiasm, wanted the job. So you have to have So remember Pete Carroll was, I think the third or fourth choice. They had Bilotti, Dennis Erickson. I can't remember who else was out there, but Pete Carroll wasn't the first choice either but definitely has come in and done a great job at USC. So it takes a certain person to be able to come in into a negative situation with optimism. And what I've read so far of what he said, I really like. He's got the Pac-10 experience. He wanted to be an SC coach. He dreamed of being an SC coach. Others, Jeff Van Gundy and these other people that they offered the job to, they, they weren't interested in the job. And you don't want a guy that's not interested in the job. I mean, when you listen to some people, you read the Times, they think Phil Jackson should have taken it. They, they feel as though, you know, uh, maybe he should have coached both teams or maybe he should have given up the Laker job and, and taken the USC basketball <laughs> job. I really did. Uh, I think that or, or Coach K should have applied for the job or, or, or somebody like that. I mean, you know, be realistic. I mean, here's a situation that needs someone that believes and wants his job He's already off recruiting. He's going to try to save some of the recruits that, that decommitted and, and wanted releases and so on. And, and believe me, when Mike Garrett released those players, you don't want somebody on your program that doesn't want to be there. So get rid of those people. Let them go. You'll be able to get more players because you do that than if you keep those players there against their will and they have to go to junior college or leave and sit out of here. So you want to be able with the coaches and the parents and so on, have a great working relationship with the recruits out there. So in releasing those players is something good. So, you know, let's get behind Coach O'Neill. Let's, let's show up for the events. Let's back him. He's a, he's a Trojan now. He's coming in, and, and I hope he does, it, he does well. I really do hope he does well. At least he's got the great enthusiasm to do well, and I think that's what's important. And they gave him a five-year contract, so he's going to be there. And I think he comes in understanding what the rules and regulations are of the university, and I think he's there to understand that and, and follow those rules. Now, the thing that bothered me the most, though, what, what bothered about, you, Coach? What bothered me the most, <laughs> as far as the process during these last ten, eleven, what twelve days since Tim Floyd resigned, and and the attitude of a lot of the media people. As far as, you know, we're not getting any information from the university. No one's returning our call. Uh, what are we going to do about this? And a couple of the articles that appeared in the Los Angeles Times uh, by respected writers, writers I respect. I mean, writing things about uh, Sample didn't return my phone call. Mike Garrett didn't return my phone call. Well, well big deal. I got a lot of people don't return my phone call. There's times and things they're going through that possibly – uh, you know, you're not supposed to return their phone call. Give a guy respect. Give a guy or administrators or, uh, to follow, first of all, what's best for the university. I mean, uh, I have called many of these reporters, and they don't return my phone call. In fact, one of the reporters that wrote a very 
uh, negative article on USC was supposed to be on my radio show uh, that I do on another station and uh, happened to schedule something else without calling me. Uh. Well, wow. You know, that leaves me with a vow where I have to talk for an hour. I don't have a problem talking for an hour. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> okay. That's one thing I know you don't have a problem with. <laughs> no, I, I have no problem talking for an hour, but you call that responsible? And then he says, call me back when I finally reach a real reschedule. And I call him back two or three times, and he's never called back. So he doesn't have to worry about being on my radio show anymore, okay? Because personally, I don't care if he wants to be on my radio show. Because I believe it's to be a, a great reporter is to be fair. Be fair and understanding. Remember that writers convince and sway people who are on the edge and don't really know. They read these articles and say, can you believe this, that Mike Garrett didn't return a phone call to blah, blah? Or can you believe this, Sample didn't return a phone call to discuss what happened in the Tim Boyd situation? And then also you have trustees. And don't get me wrong, trustees are great people. But they got a lot of money and they sit up there and they talk to all their friends too. And they said, did you read that article in Times today? Wow, that's really riffing on us. Now, we better look into this. There must be some lack of institutional control here for him to write an article like that, and we're not returning calls to the Los Angeles Times or, well, or whoever. And I say, really? I mean, what is this all about? What, what, what was that one Sunday article all about when they recapped the Reggie Bush situation and and uh, O.J. Mayo, when they showed pictures of the houses. and all. What is that all about? Now, you think people want to read about old news? No, it's because the Times is struggling. They need sensationalism. They need to have you pick up the paper and read it. I, I would just wonder what would happen if one day in a USC game, a strange voice came on the PA system and said, we don't care if the L.A. Times covers our games anymore. So if you feel like canceling the Times, all 92,000 of you, go ahead and do so. Ooh. <laughs> I, I just wonder how that might affect also their advertising. I mean, I'm just saying that's the extreme of the way that they get attacked. Yet they, these guys want to sit on the front row in the press box, and they want all the credentials. And they want everything else what you have to do. But do you think if you didn't cover USC football or the Lakers or things like that, people would care about your paper? They write these things because people do care about USC football, basketball, track, baseball, academics, and everything else. That's why they're in business. But I really don't like the lead-up to the whole situation on the hiring of, of Kevin O'Neill. Mike Garrett and Sample have done tremendous things for USC. If you look through the athletic program and you talk to the coaches at USC and the players at USC, they have the most respect for them as any administrator. I have every one of the coaches on my shows, USC Trojan Talk. Every one of them says he's close to or he is the best athletic director I've ever had. He stays out of the way and he helps us. He's at our events. Yet the other day when a passing of one of the L.A. Times writers passed away. Who's at the funeral? Mike Garrett. Okay? Who did he honor at the Fresno State game at the Coliseum 
Larry Stewart, he honored at halftime and gave him a jacket because he graduated from Fresno State, and he was a writer at the Los Angeles Times at that time. They forget all that. Everyone forgets all that. All they want to do is write about things that sell newspapers. So I think it was a, you know, and I'm just getting this off my chest, but I think a lot of people out there feel the same way I do. I've been a coach. I've had to read the newspaper. I know what's true. I know what's not true. I know when I'm not supposed to talk to the press. And I know when leaks get out there. Now, people not knowing exactly what it is, take a lead from someone and make a headline out of it. And when you read the article, you say, what, did that, what was that headline all about? So, you know, I think O'Neill will do a great job. I think it was a great hire. I'm sorry they couldn't get Phil Jackson. <laughs> I, I, I really am or Lon Kruger, or some of these guys. But here's a guy that wanted the job. And here's a guy that will come in and work with a lot of enthusiasm. So I suggest all the SC people out there get behind who's hired, because all the talking and all that that goes on behind the scenes doesn't do any good. I used to call it when I coached locker room lawyers. When I used to have players sit in the locker room and talk about, I'm not playing tonight. I'm not doing it. I'm, in, I'm not getting by due time. Well, I'd say, show me. Don't talk about it. Show me. And that's the situation we're in. Wow. Coach, that was, uh, that was, <laughs> that was pretty good. Even for you, Coach, man, I'm, there's a lot of passion there. I'm glad we got to get your opinion on this because there's a lot of strong opinions out there. We're hearing that on the website and stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, was, it was a really interesting take. I like that. We're going we're gonna to talk to Dan Weike in the next segment a little bit more about it. I wish I, we should have you on. We could all uh, have a big power on it. Well, thank you. I mean, I mean, I'm just telling you how I feel. It's just my opinion. It's like everyone has an opinion, right? Yes. It's just my opinion. You can agree with what I said out there. You can disagree with what I said out there. But when you ask me a question like you did, what did I think of the O'Neill hiring, right? Yes. I told you. You, de- you definitely did. And uh, everyone else, if you have comments, questions, if you, you know, we can talk more about this in the next podcast. Drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. But, Coach, that's all the time for this segment. Thanks again for joining us, and uh, thanks for sharing all your thoughts. Hey, thank you, buddy. Don't forget uh, Southern California Ticket Service. sctickets.com. Check them out if you need tickets for anything. We'll be back after this really short break talking with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Wojcicki. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, and we are talking USC football and basketball. We're joined by our beat writer, Dan Weike for uscfootball.com, also covers the USC Trojan basketball team, and he was down there at the Kevin O'Neill hiring press conference yesterday. How you doing, Dan? 
Mr. Versatile. Throw me football, throw me basketball, you name it, Ryan, I'll uh, I'll get it to you. Do it all, do it all. Well, what uh, what, what was the press conference like down there? I saw your story on the site, obviously, on uscfootball.com, but what was kind of the overall vibe down there at the press conference? You know, it was – I. Th- I think the feeling was that Kevin O'Neill's pretty charming guy. Um, I think that was the he's got this reputation, you know, for being kind of, you know, a tough guy and and stuff like that, and maybe not, you know, for rubbing people the wrong way. Um, he came across, I thought, very charming yesterday, um, cracking jokes, you know, announcing that all practices will be open in the media, giving everybody a cell phone number, um, just doing things like that that, you know, really going out of his way to say, you know what, I'm going to be accessible to you guys and, and you know, kind of, I think, you know, taking the first step in sort of the, the rebuilding process because, you know, it, it'll get positive coverage the way he handled yesterday. So, you know, maybe people start to think, you know what, this, this ship can be turned around quicker than we thought. Yeah, Tim Floyd, I don't think, was bad with the media. He didn't open up his practices, but you could talk to him and players after practice. It was kind of like a shooting at a moving target because they would move practices around and stuff. But that's, I mean, it's good for the media members. I think he's, he's recognized that to get more coverage out there. I mean, you do, you do need more exposure for this basketball team. It seems like Kevin O'Neill is at least grasping that concept already. Yeah. Especially right now, because the coverage during the season probably won't be all that positive. Um, You know, Kevin O'Neill thinks that they've got talent there right now and they've got the ability to win right now and maybe even get to the NCAA tournament. He said, that's the goal. Um, Realistically, I, I just don't think that's possible. I just don't think they have the depth. Um, they still don't have a point guard. Um, you know, there's just they're an, always going to be an injury or foul trouble away from playing people that probably they don't want to be playing, and and I think that'll be difficult. Um, I think fans need to understand that this is a process. That even though Kevin O'Neill says that they're not rebuilding, um, I do think that there is a bit of rebuilding that has to be done, at least from an image standpoint. And so it's going to take a little bit to get kind of removed from the Mayo scandal, and you're going to have to move forward slowly. You're going to have to do it with high-character kids, and you're going to have to do it by staying out of trouble. Any shot at getting some of the recruits that uh, got out of their letters of intent? I I think, you know, you're probably your best shot as an in-state kid like Derek Williams. Um, You know, I think that's probably the best um, you're gonna you're gonna try to get at. Um, I'm just not sure that they're gonna be able to go after a guy like Lamont Jones. I, I I don't see an out of state guy risking it um, by coming back. And still, you know, I shouldn't even say that. You know what? I don't think they're gonna get Derek Williams um, unless the NCAA were to rule in the next week or so and say, you know what? Um, here's the deal. They're gonna have to. You know, you're gonna have to take away wins maybe or something like that or or strike the mayo year from the from the the record book um but there's going to be no you know scholarship penalties there's gonna be no postseason penalties um i think that's the only chance i mean the ncaa would have to come down you know fairly lightly uh, on, on the university for them to even have a shot with any big time recruits um in the near future you know the the scholarship stuff i i think it it's good for usc to get the sanctions or whatever happens, you know, a, a ruling sanctions, whatever happens soon. I mean, like you said, there's the questions are, are a problem. And I think that hurts recruiting and you know, it's not, it ties, you know, O'Neill's hands a little bit, but also, I mean, if they took away two scholarships for a year or so, I mean, this is probably isn't the worst time to have that happen because there's like a, they take away five this year. I mean, there's I mean, a lot of year. open spots on the roster right now. Yeah. They could take away a whole bunch this year. 
Um, if it wouldn't, you know, it probably wouldn't matter. But, uh, but you know, I, I'm just not sure how that's going to work out. Things are moving kind of, like I said, they're moving a little slow. It's just unsure. There's just a lot of uncertainty. And I think that the good thing to come out of yesterday was that, okay, now we've got a head coach. Now there's certainty. There's that kind of thought process going on. All right. Well, that's the basketball stuff going on. We'll, we'll keep on top of that story and we'll see what happens in the new Kevin O'Neill era for USC. Um, you know, were you surprised at some of the mixed reaction we've seen on the message boards? I mean, there's a lot of people that don't seem real happy with it. I mean, there's some that are, and there's some that are kind of, you know, obviously you can't keep everybody happy, but there is a lot of people that are that kind of thinking about this really negatively about Kevin O'Neill coming in. No, that doesn't surprise me at all. He doesn't have the, the most glowing reputation. I mean, people out here probably remember him from, you know, uh, his his uh, second stint with Arizona where he filled in for Lute Olsen. And then that that didn't go well. Um, I mean, the perception of that was that he lost that team quickly. Um, the players just detested him. And it was, you know, even though they made the NCAA tournament, they were a really talented team that should have done a lot more. And they didn't. And he made some questionable decisions. And just uh, this was kind of an abject failure in, in a lot of people's eyes out here. Um, I think people are are also alarmed by the fact that, you know, he's never really stayed anywhere that long um, and that, you know, teams sometimes, like, you're just not sure, you know, what's going to happen after those first couple of years. And he, he's good at getting people enthused, but then what happens when he, you know, he, because he's such a demanding, um, tough coach, even though, you know, he, he, again, yesterday tried to say, you know, if it's demanding to ask players to go to class and work hard, then yeah, I'm demanding. Um, I think there's, I think it's maybe a little more than that, um, historically at least speaking. So yeah, it, it's just like there are aspects about him. Plus, he's not like the biggest, flashiest name that was out there. I mean, they, I think a lot of people wanted Jamie Dixon and wanted USC to offer Jamie Dixon ten years and and you know, a bajillion dollars. You know, and, and I think that that just wasn't going to happen. I think after that, I think people maybe wanted a guy like Lon Kruger. Um, you know, even Billy Gillespie, maybe Bobby Knight. I mean, there there were. Like just somebody with like a little a little more name recognition than Kevin O'Neill, who I think people might feel is a little bit of a retread. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, the, we we got some emails from people that have covered him. I mean, my girlfriend went to Tennessee, so I talked to some of their people. Tennessee people didn't seem to be all that upset with him. I think a lot of people liked him. Uh, no, well, I did a radio show today, Ryan, in Tennessee with people who did not have great things to say. Really? About okay. I've heard some good things from Tennessee people, but I mean, obviously, you're going to hear both. The uh, Northwestern people, definitely not hearing good stuff. I mean, he ended up leaving that program like a few weeks before the season or something like that. And uh, But, you know, Tennessee was different. You know, they, he inherited like a team that won five games and turned them around, recruited a lot of athletes. And when he left, there was, I mean, he didn't get along with the athletic director, but, you know, they went on and they won, you know, like 19 or 20 games or something like the next few years after he had left. So mm-hmm. he kind of rebuilt that program. I think that's the best case scenario for USC is you take a team that even though they went to the NCAA tournament three years in a row because of all the departures, you need to kind of rebuild that. So I think if he's able to, you know, wave, you know, ride this wave of whatever sanctions or whatever happens to the program because of the NCAA and, you know, get some recruits in here and rebuild them. I think, you know, USC fans would be happy with that, but they're kind of uncertain if that's going to happen or not. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna, it's not going to be easy, you know, and it, I think the one thing that he said yesterday that I probably liked more than anything was that he's not just going to go out and take whatever USC can get this year, um, you know, recruiting. Obviously, the class has just been decimated by decommitments. 
Um, he's just not going to go throw those scholarships at people in, in just the hopes that, you know what, we're going to take whoever we can get. I mean, football, you, you might have to do that when you rebuild the program. You might have to take, you know, low-character people because um, you need to feel the team in, in, in your window short. Well, in this situation, I don't think anybody realistically in the athletic department expects this team to go to the NCAA tournament next year. If they did that, that's foolish and unfair. Um, you know, that those types of expectations are just too high. I think what they need to expect is that they need to, that this team needs to, to stay out of trouble. Um, that Kevin O'Neill needs to bring in high quality, um, you know, kids, um, high character, good work ethic kids. And, and, you know, that they just need to play hard and be competitive and, and be fun um, to watch and start to bring some, I guess, uh, respect back to the program after it just took such just a, a, a beating in the public court. Dwight Lewis, 40 points a game, what do you think? <laughs> they yeah, might... no, seriously, just give him the ball. Get out of the way. <laughs> like, like, that's the guy, like, that's a guy who, I, I mean, I feel my heart really goes out to guys like him and Leonard Washington, and it just because it's, it's, it's a difficult situation. I mean, you, you have these expectations for one thing, and then, you know, it just snowballs and changes so quickly, you know, where, you know, when March ends, Dwight Lewis is looking around and saying, you know what, maybe maybe I'm going to a Final Four next year. You know, obviously, DeMar was probably never coming back, but, you know, Taj might have come back and Daniel Hackett might have come back. You know what, maybe then you're talking about this team being a pretty good team. You know, if, if that recruiting class stays intact, maybe maybe a speed 16 and elite eight something special you know now i mean i guess he can hope for the ncaa tournament but i mean the nit i think would be a a, a good thing next year and and i think would surprise a lot of people if they go to the nit all right well let's uh let's switch gears we got a few minutes left we can talk some uh football they were out there throwing the ball around on monday morning and uh they'll be throwing around later this week as well but there's some interesting stuff going on with the quarterbacks. I mean, you got the, the big three, Aaron Corp, Mitch Mustaine, Matt Barkley, all out there. Seem to be doing pretty well during the workouts. Yeah, you know, the thing that I think has been most interesting, and I've had a chance to talk to all three multiple times, is um, just kind of their takes on where the competition stands. Um, you know, Mitch Mustaine was brutally honest. He said he doesn't think the competition's open right now. He doesn't think he has a shot to win this job um, at the start of fall camp. And, you know, I think he's probably right. Um, I think something pretty crazy would have to happen for that to occur. So he's playing right now with, without a lot of pressure, and, and he's looked good. He's thrown the ball very well. Seems to have just kind of let go of maybe some some hesitancies, and and he's just he's just kind of flinging it, which is nice. Um, you know, Matt Barkley, he came right out and had no problem saying, you know what, I, I, the competition's still on. I, I'm going to start. I want to start. Um, I want to win this job. It's it's why I came here early. I, I you know I'm gonna do whatever I can to win this job, and that got some national attention. I think surprised people that you know oh he's so brash or whatever. Um, I think that Pete Carroll loves to hear stuff like that, and because all that's gonna do is motivate Aaron Corp, who when I talked to him about that said the same thing that Matt has to have that that mentality because I have that mentality too that I'm still gonna try to win this job every day. Um, it's not a job that you can be complacent in and, and that's only going to be good for the offense you know certainly yeah and uh yeah i was watching college football live and they had quotes from your story up there dan nice job uh those thieving sons of guns yes didn't, Matt, didn't even say my name no they said uh right they quote they they credited rivals.com which is fine I mean, at least we got some credit for it but yeah just yeah. uh 
your story. It's, it's interesting to see what's going to happen with all these three guys, especially if Mustaine plays really well. He's going to have to get his name back in there somehow. I mean, the media will be on it. You know, if, if, if he's playing the best in the beginning of fall camp, Carroll's going to have to ask, answer a lot of questions about that. Yeah, you know, I mean, that still remains to be seen for me. Um, I'm, I'm not 100% sure he can keep it going. I hope he does for his sake. Um, like, I, like I said, I, I think that's just one of the, the kind of tragic stories in college football is just, you know, when you look at Mitch and, and kind of, you know, your heart just has to go out to a kid like that who, who works hard, um, you know, stays out of trouble, and has just seen himself, you know, I mean, he's got an uphill battle right now. He's, he's got a pretty severe uphill climb. Um, I think he's talented enough to do it. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he comes in and plays the best. I think a lot of people thought that maybe, um, you know, back in um, <clears throat> before spring uh, spring football started that he was going to be the guy who would, who would emerge as the, as the starter. And, and I don't think really anybody really thought he would be third um, and, and as clearly third as he was. So, you know, he's but he's got to undo all of that in the coach's minds. And that's going to be the, the challenge for him is he's going to have to, you know, undo those memories of how he played in the spring. And he's going to have to be more confident and he's going to have to be more sure of himself. And he's going to have to look like he's having fun out there, too. I think those are the big things for Mitch. Um, I'm just not sure that he'll be able to, to pass Barkley, who's only going to get better. Um, you know, you look at. They, they basically gave Barkley um, a task at the end of uh, spring football when they said, you know, we could, we had to pick Corp. We couldn't pick Barkley right now because he doesn't know the hand signals. You know, what does that kid, what does that kid do? He goes and learns them quick. You know, I mean, he knows them now. He's ready. He could start a football game right now for them. Um, that's what at least what he told me. So, I mean, he's ready to go. I mean, it, it's he's only going to get better. He's motivated. Um, he's going to be hard to pass, I think. There's, you know, you could say uphill climb and all that stuff. It's, you know, I think there's still going to be a battle going on. And that one play away from changing the entire landscape of this competition. I mean, if, uh, if a guy like an Aaron Corp gets hurt and the co- coaches don't have confidence in a true freshman, I mean, Mustang could be the starter easily. I mean, there's, there's a lot that can go on between now and that first game at San Jose State and especially playing on the road. With, at Ohio State in the second game of the season. So there's a, there, it'll be interesting to watch. I think, you know, all the fans on there on USCfootball.com, it's a topic that always comes up. They want to talk about the quarterbacks. People back their guys. Some people like Mustaine or Barkley or Corp or whatever. And and, and people are pretty, uh, I mean, they, they, they're pretty loud and boisterous about their support for the guys that they like. So it'll be it'll be fun to watch. We covered that, that whole uh, battle in spring. I think it's going to even get more intense in the fall. Yeah, I think I mean you bring up a good point. Obviously, an injury could totally shift everything. I'm I'm speaking more, where I'm just kind of assuming that all three guys are healthy and all three guys progress at the the natural rate of you know their growth right now. You know, and and that's where I think it'll be tough for Mitch. Um, I want to make it abundantly clear that I, I mean I think he's a wonderful quarterback and I think that he will be a very good quarterback and I think he can be an NFL quarterback. Um, you know, I don't think he'll be a, a guy who'll come in and start right away in the NFL or anything at this point, but. I mean, he's a guy, I think, who can find work um, as a backup and kind of wait for his chance, like you said. I mean, one play can change everything. I mean, look at Matt Castle. You know, one one play changed his life. When Brady gets hurt, all of a sudden now he's a starting quarterback for one of the best football teams in, in the NFL, and now he's a millionaire. You know, now, now he's a multimillionaire, and he's going to be a starting quarterback for an NFL franchise. You know, it's it's it can change really quickly. Um, I just feel like, the Barkley thing is, is I do think they have confidence in him. 
I, I really do. I mean, do you get that sense when you hear them talk that they have confidence in him? I, like, that's kind of, I feel like maybe if we were having the discussion back in, you know, February or March, it would be different. But I think that he's shown them that he can handle, you know, what they throw at him. No, I think they have confidence for sure. I don't know if they would have confidence in Columbus, if that was his first start or something like that. I mean, it's it's hard to say what would go on there. I, you know, Carroll likes playing freshman, but doesn't seem to at the uh, the quarterback position. And, and that experience that Mitch Mustaine had in the SEC might work in his favor. And if a situation like that came up, who knows? It's hard to really say. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do think they have confidence. It seems like they have confidence in all these guys. Um, I mean, the only one being, you know, Matt Barkley still being so young. I think that's the only major hurdle that the coaches would probably have to overcome if they had to decide to start somebody like that. Yeah, you know, and, and Aaron Corp said some things that I thought were interesting where he, he mentioned that, you know, it's just not it's not even so much about what they do. It's about, you know, they've just got to be facilitators. They just kind of have to get the ball to the right guys at the right times. They don't have to take these, you know, these huge chances and stuff like that. And I do think all three of them are capable of doing that. And, you know, maybe an injury or something like that would would be kind of music to some USC fans' ears because that would mean, you know, a, a bigger dose of Stephon Johnson, Alan Bradford, C.J. Gable, Joe McKnight, Mark Tyler, Curtis McNeil, you know, all of those guys. Maybe that would – Stanley Havili. I mean, you know, maybe they're they're more of a running team. I, I mean, I'm really curious to see what this offense is going to look like because there are a ton of weapons and an inexperienced quarterback, which would lead me to believe that it's going to be a lot of easy um, decisions – um, and quick passes and kind of let your playmakers go out and do some stuff. Yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see what goes on there. And that, I mean, just to your point to that, I mean, maybe they feel that Matt Barkley wouldn't be as comfortable doing the easy decisions and the checkdowns and stuff like that, where a more experienced corporate Mustaine could be. So who knows? That could all come into factor, you know, be a factor. But we, I think everyone out there wants to see what this offense is going to look like and how the play calls are going to change with Jeremy Bates and and John Morton and stuff. But we have to wait and see, but all we can do about till then is talk about it, Dan. Speculate, speculate. Yes, speculate. that's what we do. All right, well, hey, thanks for uh, your time, and thanks for your thoughts on that. We'll keep up with the uh, Kevin O'Neill updates, and we'll probably have more basketball coverage this year because the practices will be open. We can get you some more insights of what's going on and how he runs the team and everything, and if he's really that much of a hard-ass like everyone says he is. Oh, you, you can call him a hard-ass? I meant to call him a hard-ass before, and I, I decided not to. Oh, really? Yeah, no, it, there's no uh, FCC ruling on podcasts, so we're okay with that. Can I call him someone else? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm All, right. All right. <laughs> okay, Dan, well, thanks for your time, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk to you next week. All right, thanks, Ryan. All right, everybody else, quick break, come back talking. We're going to preview the Rising Stars Camp with USCFootball.com's Gerard Martinez. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We are talking recruiting in this segment. 
The biggest camp of the year at USC, the USC Rising Stars Camp, is on Wednesday and Thursday of this weekend. To break it all down, we have uscfootball.com recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Gerard, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm pumped up. we got two days of just crazy recruiting evaluation. It's the, the last leg of the spring-summer evaluations, and then we hit 4th of July, so I'm pumped. All right, so just so people that maybe, you know, we talk recruiting all the time, but there's some USC fans out there that love the team, football, basketball, whatever it is. They don't follow recruiting all that well. Maybe you could give just like a little overview of why this USC Rising Stars camp is so important. And, and I mean, it, it, you could argue it's the, you know, the best camp or one of the best camps in the country when it comes to, you know, high school camps. Well, first of all, shame on you if you don't follow recruiting because recruiting is definitely the future <laughs> of the program, whether it's basketball, football, or baseball. Um, but uh, the Rising Stars camp specifically, it's a huge camp. It's just, you know, it kind of mirrors what USC does nationally as a recruiting prowess. I mean, they go out there, they're able to grab guys from the East Coast, they're able to grab guys from the South, uh, from even the Northwest and the Midwest, and kind of bring them together, and it's a, it's a national state of sorts. And, you know, obviously the intensity level that you have at USC practices, and even if you don't follow recruiting, you've, I'm sure you've been to a USC practice before, and it's like that, and it's very intense, uh, where you've got no contact, but the coaches are going crazy. They love seeing these really top-end type kids. Um, and it's all about competition. And, I mean, in this type of environment, you're really, really looking at competition because you have guys there that are rated highly, that have scholarship offers, and they're coming in. And, they're, you know, it's, it's a recruiting kind of moment because they're able to talk to the coaches. They're able to bond. It's a two-day experience. It's Wednesday and Thursday. And they stay overnight, which is the unique part of it. It's different than the skills camp or the lineman camp. And so there's a little bit of a, a rapport that's, you know, kind of made between the coaches and the recruits. And so for the top-end guys, they come in, and they're able to kind of bond a little bit, and they get a rapport, and they get a feel for what it's like to really be, you know, a USC Trojan. And then you have the other end of the spectrum, which are the kids that are coming in, and they're fighting for scholarships. Um, you know, they're underrated. They want to come in and show that, hey, you know what, I'm a five-star guy just like this guy standing next to me. I'm better than him. And, and it's type of form where these kids are really competing against each other, and uh, it's tough, it's intense, it's a lot of energy, and it's exciting for, for us to cover, to just be there, and uh, it's definitely exciting for the coaches to be involved with it and to get to you know, see these kids really play right in front of them and coach them up. So it's, it's definitely kind of cool for, I think, everybody involved. Now, we'll cover it on uscfootball.com. Uh, we'll have video highlights, we'll have photos, we'll have you know, um, analysis, we'll have all kinds of stuff. Uh, coverage on these camps I guess Gerard maybe what makes this kind of unique uh, people see the Nike camps and stuff and those are really important but they're they're kind of regional and they there's a whole bunch of those I mean because there's only one USC camp major camp like this I mean USC gets in the talent from all over the country where you know the the kids in Florida would go to some Nike camp in Miami or or somewhere like that where if you want to come to the USC camp there's only one so everyone from all over the nation if they're interested or if they want to get their name out there they seem to want to come to this camp yeah, definitely. Well, like I said, it kind of mirrors what USC does uh, in terms of recruiting. I mean, USC is unique because they are a national recruiting powerhouse. They go coast to coast, and that kind of is what you get with the Rising Stars camp. It's one of those camps that uh, there's very few camps nationally that are team-driven camps 
that you actually see kids coming in from just odd parts of the country, Texas and Florida and New Jersey and Ohio, um, you know, and USC is able to kind of do that. So that's what definitely sets it apart. There are other, you know, big camps out there. Uh, Florida's got a big camp. LSU's been having a big camp. Obviously, Tennessee now with Lane Kiffin's trying to do some of the same things that USC's done with the Rising Stars camp. So there are other schools that have good camps that bring kids in at a regional level. But USC, this Rising Stars camp, is just kind of built – a tradition and a reputation for being, um, you know, the best of the best. Yeah, and I mean, if it's important enough that Rivals.com is sending some guys out here. I mean, they're they're treating it like one of those other major camps around, you know, that that are not even a school camp. So the fact that Rivals is sending guys out here it tells you something about that. But maybe um, you could share with us what do you think some of the strengths are going to be uh, at the camp? Well, the, the real intriguing position uh, in terms of offers. Definitely going to be, you know, the quarterback position. Um, I don't know if I would call it necessarily a strength, but it's definitely a position that everybody has to watch because it looks like USC wants to offer a scholarship to a quarterback in this class. And uh, the group that has been there kind of, you know, in coming out of March all the way through the evaluation process is kind of still the group there. Pete Thomas uh, recently committed to Arizona State, so he won't be there. He was actually at the uh, passing tournament uh, last weekend at USC. Um, but, you know, you have Jesse Stroggins, who's a, you know, six foot three, 195 pound, really a pocket passer quarterback, really accurate, really great touch. Uh, he's been a guy that kind of seems to be at the top of the board. Um, has been just, you know, great at every camp we've seen him at. And he's been in a lot of camps. So he's been a guy that's really been consistent, at least, uh, with his accuracy and, and with his performances. And he's a guy that, you know, a lot of people are looking at. He's a Rivals 100 guy. Uh, Brent Nottingham is a kid that, you know, really doesn't have a lot of offers, but he's about 6'3", 210. Um, uh, looks a little more like that prototypical um, pro-style passing quarterback. And he's from Danville, Monte Vista, which is the same high school that Drew McAllister came from. And Drew McAllister actually played the uh, – um, quarterback in high school and ended up playing safety at USC. But Nottingham is definitely going to be a quarterback at the next level, and he's a guy that could come in and probably maybe surprise some people. Um, Tyler Bray is a guy who was out at the skills camp, was very good at the skills camp. He's 6'5", 190, really kind of lanky, dangly kind of guy who's uh, you know got to put a lot of weight on himself. But he's big, he's tall, he's got great presence in the pocket, uh, also showed some nice touch. Um, he's a guy that you could kind of develop in the system in USC. You know, I think that's what they'd like to have is somebody who's willing to kind of learn a little bit and, and take some time in developing and being able to come in and be prepared to be able to play and not have a guy just rush in there and play as a true freshman. Um, so, I mean, you, you've got some good players, a good group at the quarterback position. That's going to definitely be intriguing to see how these guys, uh, again, everybody's fighting for a scholarship at this position. So that's what kind of makes that position exciting. Uh, I think, you know, running back position – is deep with talent, but you've got three guys that, you know, if they come in, uh, D.J. Morgan, Dylan Baxter, and Traylon Briggs, they're all committed recruits already. So while, you know, talent-wise is definitely deep, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a position that everybody's kind of focused on. Uh, receiver position, kind of lacking a couple guys that, you know, we expected to be out there. Um, they're not going to show up, but the big name of the camp, Robert Woods, will be there. He's a guy that's, uh, you know, probably a future five-star level guy. He's, he's ranked a little low nationally by rivals right now. But I think overall, when people see him play, he's really going to be a playmaker, and, and people are going to have to just notice that he is probably one of the best, if not the best, player in California. Um, I think in terms of the, the really the strong, strong position of this camp could end up kind of following from last year, the defensive line position. Um, you've got two of the, the, high, the highest-rated recruits that are going to be in this camp. 
are going to be at the defensive end position. Ronald Powell from uh, Rancho Verde High School is about 6'3", he's about 235 right now, uh, just dominating everything that he's ever been to here in terms of the camp circuit. He went to Florida for a one-day camp a few weeks ago, just blew everybody away there. You know, all the people were just like, wow, this this guy, Florida's got to go across the country to get this kid. It's a no-brainer. They offered him a long time ago, but it kind of, I think, reinforced just what a good player he is. And he actually played both ways at the camp. He was so dominant at defensive end, they stuck him over at uh, tight end, and he was just as dominant. And we saw the same thing from him when we were at the FBU camp uh, earlier this year in February, um, where he was, you know, just really didn't have any competition on the, on the, on the line, so he ended up going over and playing slot receiver and tight end. He was the best slot receiver that was probably at the whole camp, and you had some other really good players there. So that's a guy that, you know, everybody's going to watch and expect, you know, a lot of high things from. Uh, Jackson Jeffcoat's supposed to show up, and Jackson Jeffcoat's kind of been a little bit of an enigma. A lot of people haven't been able to evaluate him in person. He plays basketball, and uh, and he's been real low on the recruiting radar in terms of doing interviews and whatnot. He's kind of been shielded from that a little bit. His dad is actually uh, Jim Jeffcoat, who played with Ken Norton Jr. at the Dallas Cowboys and now is a uh, assistant coach with uh, the Houston Cougars. So, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of a – um, uh, kind of a uh, some question marks to how good he really is, I guess, in, in, in sort of, kind of. I mean, I think a lot of people really recognize that he's a top talent, but it's one of those things is, you know, how good is good? You know, when you see him next to Ronald Powell, and we know Ronald Powell has dominated a lot of different camps, now you get to see Jackson Jeffcoat next to Ronald Powell. Okay, you know, how good is Jackson Jeffcoat? He's a little bigger, he's about 6'5". And he's listed at 235. I think he's going to probably come in a lot bigger than that. Um, maybe a little more of a strong side guy um, than Powell. Powell is, is definitely able to play weak side uh, if he wants to in college. Um, so those are the, so those are like the really big name guys. And at the defensive end position, obviously, that's where all the the, uh, the notoriety will probably go uh, early on. But there's some other guys in there that make it you know a little deeper position coming into the camp, like uh, George Uko, who's a 6'3", 300-pound uh, defensive tackle from Don Lugo High School, and uh, he was pretty good at UCLA's camp, and he's a guy who's going to be fighting for a scholarship at USC, and uh, but but a good player, and, and a guy that, you know, that's that's really where USC has to kind of take a look at, you know, where do they want to get some scholarship offers out in the interior line, you know, who do they have a chance at, it's a position that you always have a lot of offers out nationally, but, you know, how, how great of a chance, how great of the prob- probability is there to go out there and get those guys nationally, you know, go and get somebody from the East Coast and bring them in. Uh, hasn't been a lot of success throughout the years getting those guys that have been national recruits at the defensive tackle position. So you want to be able to kind of propagate some talent locally. And, and George Uko is kind of a guy like that um, that I think, you know, a lot of people are going to have to kind of look at. And he's got a big body, just a matter of whether he's going to be able to, to wow consistently and, and show up every play and really fight um, these double teams and get into you know, be put in different situations, and that's what USC will do. The, the coaching staff will put these kids in different situations and uh, and definitely make it a little interesting for them and not just, uh, you know, put them in a comfort level and, and do what they've always done in high school so they're familiar with it. They'll put them out there, and, and a guy like George Uko, you may see him playing defensive end at the camp and, and kind of trying to see what he can do speed-wise off the edge and whatnot. So uh, it's a camp that, you know, I think there's a lot of underclassmen that will be involved too, and that will – definitely 
you know, what position is strong compared to other positions. Sometimes the underclassmen are the are the guys that kind of make that position really shine. Um, and at the defensive line position, you've got Jalen Grimble, who's a cousin of Xavier Grimble, who's the tight end, committed to USC already. Jalen has quite a few offers already as a junior, and he's going to be coming to USC trying to do the same thing. Greg Townsend, Jr., who's the son of Greg Townsend, Sr., played for the Raiders, uh, should be showing up at the camp. He's about 6'3", uh, about 230, 235, kind of trying to figure out whether he's going to be a defensive end at the next level or could maybe stay and play linebacker. That's kind of what he plays there at Beverly Hills High School. So there's going to be a lot of those kind of players that, you know, depending on where they line up, that could be a position that, you know, becomes a position of strength. So I think, you know, defensive line is definitely going to stand out. Um, defensive back could be an interesting position to watch as well. Um, Tony Jefferson, a guy who plays linebacker from Chula Vista um, down there in San Diego, he's uh, – kind of been looked at as a linebacker for a while, and now he's making that transition into safety because that's the position he wants to play in uh, in college. And he he was at UCLA, played very well at UCLA a few weeks ago at their one-day camp. He's going to come now to USC, play safety, and uh, we expect some pretty good things from him. We liked what we saw from him. Being a guy that's never really played a lot of safety and a lot of defensive back, uh, he's come in and, and definitely kind of adapted a little bit, and he's got good speed, just a matter of his hips and kind of being aware in space. He's got to get better at but. Uh, um, you know, definitely a, a worthwhile guy, an Army All-American level type player that uh, people are going to watch. Tom Parker should be there participating. Uh, not sure if uh, Dietrich Riley is going to actually participate, but that's another guy who you can put in at safety, and we've seen him play safety at, at various camps, and, and it's just money. I mean, the guy's a really good player. He is talking about wanting to play uh, maybe a little running back. He's 6'1", 195 pounds, about 200 pounds, very physical uh, me personally watching him, I just don't see him playing running back in college. I think his position is definitely safety. I think he's got a really, a really high ceiling at safety. In fact, um, so we'll see. You know, kind of if if maybe a, a camp at USC working with Rocky Seto, working with Pete Carroll, uh, you know, Chris Richard, those guys kind of getting a rapport with those guys. Maybe he starts to to open up to you know playing safety a little more. And um, you know, Anthony Jefferson's a guy that that could show up that we saw play at the passing tournament. He's about six. About 6'1", um, he's a little slimmer than a lot of these corners that USC is going to be bringing in in this camp. He's, he's probably more about that 170, 175-pound range. Um, but, you know, he's another guy that we've seen at camps that while receiver is kind of his position in high school, he's coming into this camp playing cornerback, and we've seen him at other camps playing cornerback, kind of knew the position. He's still very good. He's a guy that you just, you know, with the heights and kind of his frame, he's really intriguing. Um, one guy we won't see at the camp is Demetrius Wright. He's another guy, but he's at that 6'1 range, about 185 pounds. Um, he's decided he's going to do some team functions instead and not show up to the camp. Uh, but that's a guy that kind of mirrors those big cornerbacks USC's recruiting. Um, opposite that is going to show up at the camp will be Joshua Shaw, who's, again, another 6'1", 180-pound kid. Uh, just um, really kind of looks almost like a free safety, to be honest. We saw him at, at UCLA. He was a little dinged with his ankle and uh, was slowed up a little bit, still had a good performance, but we expect some good things out of him uh, this week. And uh, he'll be playing probably opposite of some of those guys like, like Jefferson and, uh, and maybe even Sean Parker. Seeing Sean Parker, you know, 5'10", 5'11", 185 pounds, playing a little bit of corner, 
even though safety is his primary position. Like I said, USC is going to pull guys and put them at different positions and mix them up a little bit, you know, take them out of their comfort level uh, and, and their security blanket of the position that they played in high school for the last three or four years and really, you know, put them out there on an island and see what they can do fundamentally. It'll happen at defensive back. It'll happen at defensive line, offensive line, you name it. And, and that's kind of one of the exciting things about the camp because you really do get to see players um, in a different environment. Wow. All right. So just so everyone knows out there, that last 10 minutes or so of uninterrupted recruiting talk that you can't get anywhere. No one will give you that. That's off the top of Gerard's head. He's not enough. So sheet in front of him. That's just Gerard. Boom. Going on. It's impressive, Gerard. I mean, you just you could have kept going. <laughs> I could have, yeah. I'm in the camp. I'm pumped. I told you, man. It's two days. We get in the sun, get out there, smell the grass, see a bunch of good players. It's fun. All right. Well, let's – um. Let's uh, we'll do it a little quicker this time for the, there's a couple more points I want to get to on this. But some guy you, you mentioned, um, I mean, the, the stuff at the camps are exciting. There's no pads. So you can't you're not watching like power backs run through people. But the one on ones are great. When you get to see receivers go against defensive backs, you get to see the quarterbacks throw into them. Uh, the, the linemen one on ones are a lot of fun, even though, you know, it's not as cool without the uh, without the pads on. But you can see these rush ends kind of blowing by guys or. You know, tackles just lock, uh, locking people up. Those are kind of fun to watch. What for you? What are some of the surprise players you think that are come out of this? And usually, they kind of they're surprised because of their one on one. You know, those one on one drills. That's usually when people kind of stand out. Is there a couple of names out there you think could be surprise players for this camp? Well, there's always surprise players because there's always guys that can come into a camp situation and maybe they just they're they really adapt to it well. And, and that's kind of the thing I think, um, you know, and you've got to be careful with evaluations because of that, because sometimes you go in and you see a guy and he's really good at a camp, but like you said, getting the pads on is a little different. Now, UFC non-contact is a relative term because, you know, we even see, you know, with the team, they go out there and they're, and, you know, they got no pads on, maybe they got their helmets on and they're out there smacking each other. And it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's not really a big difference between, you know, no shells and shells and full pads at USC. And, and with the, you know, the Rising Stars camp, it's intense, and these guys are out there and they're fighting. And I think, you know, whether it's, you know, no contact or contact, some of these positions you're going to see exactly the same kind of thing. You, you know, receiver position, you're going to see those guys out there. they they got to catch the ball. There's going to be, you know, some bumps here and there. There's going to be some DBs that decide, you know what, I want to come over here and let this guy know that you can't cross the middle against me. And, you know, we don't got pads on, but that's okay. <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> so it's, it's a little bit of a, of a, of a relative term. Um, I, I think in terms of surprises, you know, it's kind of open. I think that there's guys like uh, Kevin Carter, who's a big-time track guy, who uh, just, you know, ran a 10-6 in the city championships and kind of came out of nowhere from a local school that's just, you know, across the freeway, just across the 110 from USC, committed to Washington really early in the process and had a couple scholarship offers, and it kind of really it just it all just blossomed for him really quickly. And I think he's a guy that still looking at USC, 6'3", 195 pounds, and obviously with those track times, he's, you know, very valuable-looking recruit to see what he can really do in terms of, you know, how raw of a prospect he is, 
how much building can you do from a guy that's already got a good frame and you know he's got good speed? Uh, does he have the instincts to be a good football player to go along with it? USC's going to give him a long look. And when you got you know guys like Robert Woods and you got guys like uh, Demarco Cobbs who's coming in from Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, you know he's a good you know six one, two hundred pound kid, plays two or three quarterback uh, for his high school there in Tulsa, and coming into this camp, highly recognized guy. But you know what can he do as an, as an actual receiver? Is he really a receiver? He's listed as a receiver. People talk about his potential as a receiver, but you know what what are the results going to be at the camp with him playing receiver when he's so raw. Um, you know, seeing a guy like Kevin Carter against those guys is going to be interesting. Kalen Clay is a kid that has no scholarship offers right now. Who's in the Rivals 250, four-star recruit. He's small. He's about 5'10", you know, 165 pounds. Uh, really reminiscent of the other Long Beach Poly, really small scat back type receivers that they've had. Guys like Austin, guys like Trevon Patterson, uh, guys like, and I don't want to throw it out there, this comparison to Sean Jackson, because Sean Jackson was a phenomenal player, but those type of small slot receivers that they've been able to produce, you know, Kalen Clay's kind of that makeup. Um, he's a guy who's run a 10-8-8. He's a good track kid uh, and was really money in the CIF playoffs last year. Had some great, you know, some great catches. Obviously, Polly right now is kind of formed into being a very physical team, a running team, a defensive-oriented team. They don't have a lot of great quarterback play, and, a, and the pass offense isn't really wide open. So this kid hasn't really been able to display his skills a lot. Still, I'm surprised he has no scholarship offers. That's a kid who could come out of nowhere at a Rising Stars camp and, and be excellent and, and do some great things. Um, I think that uh, you know the offensive line, the offensive line group is really interesting because there's a lot of guys that, you know, again, we're talking about propagating some local talent with the offensive and defensive line, especially in the interior defensive line. Or with the offensive line, you know, USC's got to find a guy, you know, that can, maybe he's not the highest rated guy. Uh, maybe he's not, you know, hey, we can throw him out there like Tyron Smith is a true freshman and he can play type guy. But a guy that's got a body, he's got a frame that you can build on that can be a contributor for your team down the line. And we saw Giovanni DiPaolo last week, or excuse me, two weeks ago actually at the, at the lineman camp. Very good player, uh, you know, had some good moments and some bad moments, was a little inconsistent, I think. Uh, they put him at center, again, you know, kind of taking him out of his comfort level. He's never played center. They put him at center, kind of see what he could do, put him at left tackle, see what he could do. Uh, he was pretty good. They're going to, you know, bring him back for the Rising Stars camp, see what he can do. 260 pounds, 265 pounds, 6'4", not, you know, prototypical big 6'5", 300-pound guy that you're like, oh, well, that guy's a no-brainer. But a guy that, you know, again, USC, it's not a great group of offensive linemen locally. It's not a great group of offensive linemen nationally. So you're going to have to go on some guys and get some projects. The same thing, Michael Christ is another example. Now, Michael Christ has got a little better body. He's about 285, about 6'5". He kind of looks the part a little more, but in terms of footwork, in terms of his physical ability, uh, really his run blocking more or less. I, I haven't really seen a ton of him. I think he's a little more of a project than, you know, maybe Pat Rule would just go after right away and be like, oh, man, I love this kid. Those are the kind of kids you're going to have to see. They're going to have to kind of just look at some guys, maybe some projects, maybe some development guys are going to have to get an offer at this camp. I think under the radar maybe as an underclassman, the guy to watch out for is going to be Christian Westerman uh, from uh, – from Chandler, Arizona, from Hamilton High School, is about 6'5", 285. Uh, you know, he came out to the Texas camp a couple weeks ago and dominated. The guy was blowing people up. He was better than any of the upperclassmen there. So that's a 2011 guy that can come out of nowhere and be a big surprise that people really don't know about. And unfortunately, may, look, <laughs> may make the, the guys like Chris and, and, Dia, uh, and Giovanni Diapalo and Jay Barlow and, and Gosh Chalk and David Peterson and these guys that are kind of these low-radar guys 
that are the three-star guys that are maybe 260, 270, and are guys that they're going to need to build up and, 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 and you know, get – like I said, kind of develop a little bit, take a chance on a guy like Westerman could come in as an underclassman and kind of blow that away and go, man, you know, uh, looking at a guy like Westerman who could dominate this camp, and then you're going, well, you know, who who are we looking at in 2010? We got a junior here that's dominating, and he looks like this, and it makes it kind of hard sometimes for those guys to to be able to come up and uh, and those seniors to be able to kind of show what they can do, and and it's all relative, you know, the the level of talent from from guy to guy, from class to class, position to position, it's all relative, and uh, and, and so we'll see, you know, kind of what happens with the the surprises of the camp. All right, uh, we we're pretty short on time and we we don't really have a time limit on the podcast but i try to keep up with under under like an hour and 15 minutes or so so we're getting close to that but uh martin had a question i thought maybe you know you're definitely excited about this camp he want to know what recruits are you most excited to see in action maybe some guys that you know you've seen a lot on film but you haven't seen in person anybody like that hmm that's uh that's tough because there's a lot of guys that I, I'm really interested to see. I mean, I'm interested to see how the quarterback position develops. You know, I mean, who comes out of that position and, and really is able to to grab the bull by his horns. You know, take the opportunity and and step up and win that scholarship. You know, somebody gonna win the scholarship or are they got are these guys gonna come in and and try to play? You know, not to lose a scholarship type thing. That with the quarterback position, I think that's really gonna be interesting. I'm interested in seeing how Deontay Williams plays. Uh, Running back, four-star kid from Albion, Texas. Um, kind of, you know, the running back position. Nobody's really going to watch because you know he's already got three committed running backs. But that's a kid. If you watch his tape, man, wow, he runs angry. He is a physical, physical runner. Uh, a guy that's just um, kind of, uh, I think, really needs to have more scholarship offers. I don't know if USC would offer him a scholarship offer, seeing where they sit with commitments, but. That's a kid that said, I kind of want to see what he looks like. We saw him at the underclassmen combine a little bit, but I think this is a, a better form um, for, for a kid like that, just the intensity level and the fact that they'll run some team drills and you'll get to see him run with an offensive line uh, in front of them. Um, uh, you know, Tevin Carter, like I said, is a guy that could kind of be a surprise type, you know, recruit in terms of ratings and, and being a guy that ends up being a really good player. I definitely want to see what he can do in person. You know, is he just a track guy that's got a good body or is he going to be a kid that can actually step up and, you know, put that frame and put that athletic ability and, and match it with some football instincts? I think that's kind of a big deal. Um, Dakota Smith, another committed recruit, 6'7", 230 pounds, cough, cough, more like two you know, 350 probably. <laughs> um, you know, is he going to come in and, and first of all, is he going to show up? Um, second of all, if he shows up, you know, is he going to play both sides of the line? Because, you know, really a lot of the people uh, that I talk to, they're, they're really interested in seeing what he can do as an offensive lineman. And I kind of am too. You know, that's a big body that you wonder, you know, with the lack of offensive line talent this year, is that a guy you could put over, maybe a tackle? And he could be, you know, a big-time player. Um, USC's kind of recruited him as a nose tackle. So I'd like to kind of see him again, you know, see how he's progressed just physically. That's a big kid. You know, is he putting on good weight or is he putting on bad weight? That's, you know, going to be a question. And and obviously, you know, underclassmen, there's a bunch of underclassmen that I want to see, and, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll let you know when I see him. Um, but uh, it's it's a it's a it's a great camp, and there are a lot of guys that you know you tend to tend to forget about. You know, just just thinking about it, that show up, and and when they start you know performing, you you're just excited just to watch them. So it's it's a long list, but uh, those are some of the guys that yeah I'm I'm kind of just uh, looking forward to seeing. Great stuff, Gerard. Yeah, so check out uscfootball.com. We'll have tons of coverage from this camp, and there's like you said, there's going to be some guys that no one knew were coming show up, and some guys we expect to come that don't come, but there's 
always a great, great list of guys, prospects, and then new new stars emerge from this thing all the time. So check out uscfootball.com, and we'll have all the, the latest on that. But thanks, Gerard. Uh, that was a lot of great stuff, and we'll talk to you again next week. We'll try to do a roundtable and get everybody's thoughts on what went on in the camp. We'll do a, a review of it next Wednesday when we do the podcast. Awesome. Well, great being here, and uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll have some good stuff to report uh, post-camp. Certainly will. All right. Thanks to all of you guys listening. Thanks to our guests. We will talk to you again next week talking more USC football. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Music